What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Today on What Got You There, we are joined by Mike Wadango. Mike is who the pros turn to when they want to be the best athletes on their fields. Mike is the owner of Freak Strength and one of the world's best strength conditioning coaches. We talk about what it's like being an entrepreneur, what he learned from some of his mentors, and how you constantly need to push yourself to get better. This is a fascinating episode with Mike. Mike, thanks for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, you're the master of freak strength, and I'm someone who's obsessed with fitness. A lot of my listeners are, so this one's going to be fun. So before we get into your backstory, how do you start your day? <sighs> you know, it's it's funny you ask that because I, uh, I've been I've been doing a lot and, and, and trying to trying to research a lot about different guys and how they start their days, you know. Tim Ferriss has this great interview with Tony Robbins, and he has his whole like you know five ways to get start your day off right. And I I really try to start my day off with you know a, a right upon awakening. You try to accomplish little tasks throughout the day, like right right upon awakening, and that way you feel like you're getting your day started. Start with some breathing stuff, and then you know I I get my get my butt downstairs and and go right over to a uh, a local high school, uh, Bergen Catholic. I train them in the mornings. Four, four days a week, 6 a.m., we get we get a turnout about 30 guys, and in the afternoon sessions, I get another 30 guys, and we just get after it early, earlier in the morning. I mean, have you always been a morning person? Uh, you know, I've always, I've always waken up early in the morning and then done something. Even even in eighth grade, I remember my father would let me wake up early and 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 go to the gym before. Uh, before any kind of school starts. And sometimes I would go late and I'd have an excuse. I'd, my, my father would write me a note saying, oh, he was at physical therapy. So I sometimes, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, even, even at a young age, my dad, he always let me put, you know, kind of fitness first, which sounds ridiculous, but it kind of worked out. I mean, that's funny. That was his take on it. What'd your father do? Um, my dad was a finance guy. He, he worked as a CFO for a couple of companies. Um, he, he did really, really well for himself, but he, he kind of, he has a different approach to things. He's, he's a type A personality, but he started off with a real Rocky background. He grew up with absolutely nothing. Um, dropped out of high school, you know, went to the Navy, got his GED, then, you know, went to, you know, a small college and then got his MBA from Columbia, you know? So, I mean, it's a guy with no background in anything. And then turned himself into a total boss, you know, from and, and and so he uh he understands like the little things that really matter with certain personalities and stuff, and 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 it really helped mold me to be who I who I am today. Oh, that's awesome. I definitely want to dive a little deeper on that. But before we do, you want to just give my listeners a little 
background to yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing currently? All right. Well, I currently own a gym, but I didn't start off owning a gym. As a matter of fact, I had zero interest in ever owning anything. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of fell into this. Um, I've always, I've always wanted to be involved in physical fitness in one way or another. Uh, when I was, when I was younger, I mean, every kid wants to be an athlete, but I, for, for some reason, the passion to be an athlete wasn't there, but I grew up watching Rocky movies and Arnold movies and the, the passion to be jacked was always there. I, <laughs> I always wanted to work out. So if I played baseball, or if I wrestled, like I was, I, I always wanted to have like the biggest back or the biggest forearms or be the most jacked baseball player. And then, you know, I was, I kind of got into music for a little bit. I'd wanted to go to music school. Uh, and my father, he, he said, no, you know, <laughs> his CFO <laughs> background kicking in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The, the arts, the arts and the math really don't mix for him. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I had really wanted to do that and it was, it was kind of taking me in that, that direction. But even, even when I wanted to be, you know, like a professional musician, I still, I still wanted to be like the most jacked drummer there was, <laughs> you know? So then from there, I, I kept playing sports, you know, wrestling, baseball, and then I ended up getting some scholarships for baseball, went to college for baseball. But even then, practice and stuff, it, it, it wasn't the practices that got me. It wasn't playing that got me. It was the training. It was the preparation for, for all these sports that, that really I, I enjoyed a lot. Um, the season was really stressful for me, but the preparation, the preparation for the season for me was, was so cool. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I always had such a different approach where people were so hardcore, like practice starts. It's like, all right, you know, let's, let's go. And a lot of hooting and hollering, but I was always, I wasn't really a hollering guy at practice because I always thought that, well, yeah, I mean, we're all working together, but everyone else is working at the same time, you know? So how are you going to get better when everyone else is working at the same time? So I, you know, if, if baseball practices started in January, I mean, I was hitting off a tee. After summer season, I took maybe a week or two off of swinging sometimes, not even. And then I just hit off, hit 100 balls off the tee from October all the way to March or April, whenever our season started. You know, it was, to me, it was always about the progressive overload. It was, you know, that concept was always there, just staying on top of all the little nitty gritty details. Um, and then baseball, I, you know, I had the opportunity to, to play professionally, but I was, I was so injured. I was older. I was short. I was from a small school. I like, I, the writing was on the wall. You know, (laughs) if, if I had played minor leagues and if I had ever had the shot to play in the majors, it would not have been for a long stint, assuming my body would even hold up that long. So, you know, I, I, I hung them up. Um, and I was really upset about it, but I wasn't like, you know, too beat up about it. It was my own decision. Um, and I started working at, DeFranco's. Um, now I had started working at Joe's when I was in college. Even I remember a trainer kind of didn't show up for a session and I was already a part of Joe's for a few years at that point. And Joe was busy. He looked at me, and goes, Hey, you want to take a session? And it was a high school kid. I said, yeah, sure. And that might've started when I was like 20 or 21. I was doing like little part-time fill-ins. Oh, that's awesome. You want to give my listeners though, I, you and I are very familiar with Joe DeFranco. You want to just let my listeners know kind of his background and what he's infamous for. So, so Joe, Joe started off at uh, at a club called Parisi's, actually. 
Um, Parisi's is like the the original. It's either Parisi's or Velocity. Those are like the original speed schools, like sports performance franchise schools that that kind of got away from the Gold's Gym at- atmosphere. And and Joe was one of the one of the main guys at Parisi's way back. Um, uh, he 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 got more. There, there were a couple couple different guys there. Some were speed oriented. Some were weight oriented. Uh, Joe was more weight oriented, and he kind of went more in that direction. So he wrote wrote an article uh, on T Nation West Side for Skinny Bastards, and that that article is a huge huge article. I mean, he gained a ton of popularity from it, um, and from there he ended up opening up his own gym. And for a few years, Joe's gym was like a top ten gym in the country. Uh, we you know we we had produced a, a ton of high school college. NFL, you know, professional athletes from, from various sports. We attracted guys from all over the world. Uh, and, and Joe has a really, really awesome reputation with, 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 in, you know, in the training world. So from, I, I started training with Joe in high school. I was real fortunate. Uh, I was a part of like a local gym and I saw all these meatheads going in and out of this, this closet. And <laughs> I was, I was sitting there doing my half rep pull-ups in the background, you know, trying to <laughs> try to do anything, but I was always like a big pull-up guy. As, you know, it's every skinny guy can do pull-ups, so he does a lot of them. You know, it's the only thing. That- <laughs> so yeah, I was tired of lifting like a total moose, um, and I went in, went into the back room. I ended up being like one of Joe's, one of Joe's first guys. It was kind of when he first started out, and I was there from the beginning. Um, and he had changed locations in my tenure three times. Uh, he started off at Waldwick, then went to Wyckoff, then he went to a building, a, another building within Wyckoff. And that last building was about, I don't know, five, 6,000 square feet, something like that. Um, and then he had moved his gym to uh, Texas. Um, but when I was in college, I was fortunate enough to work for Joe uh, part-time. And then I got a lot of experience. I mean, Joe's, Joe's world-renowned. So I was, I was exposed to a lot of things that guys my age weren't exposed to. So with that background, Joe felt comfortable hiring me. You know, right off the bat, even even as a even as a college kid, um, he was comfortable with me training high school kids. No problem because hey, I know Joe's program. I know what he would want to do. I might not know all the nitty gritty details at the time, but I was an exercise physiology major. You know, I was passionate about the stuff. I was always asking him questions. Um, I mean, this is what I'm so intrigued by because you're at one of the top ten gyms at the time in the world. So you must have been doing something or had something innate in you where he was like, you know what? I trust this kid so much. I'm going to allow him to start training athletes. I mean, any idea what that was that you possess? You know, I, it's, it's my father's mentality. You know, it's the balls to the wall work ethic, never, never giving up. It's, you know, the, the old school Ginzo mentality, like, you know, <laughs> nothing's ever good enough sort of thing, you know, and, and you always do it over and over and over again. Um, so I, and you know, Joe's, Joe's a fellow, fellow Paisan. So naturally <laughs> both, you know, we, we had hit it off. So I mean, there were there were too many things that just that just fit in the right spots for him. You know, it, it was it was like an immediate comfort zone for him. Oh, I got you. That's awesome. You keep mentioning your father too, and just kind of the little lessons he taught you. Any other things um, during your youth that he was showing you, or even just doing naturally leading that you really grasped to? Oh yeah, he's he's one of the cheapest guys I've ever met in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he got he got uh, I, I he was. He got yelled at, or not yelled at, he got made fun of, I think, by his old boss, because my father used to drive a Saturn, and 
the, his his boss, he used to drive it back and forth to work. And the guy, you know, he, he worked his ass off. He commuted back and forth over 45 minutes or 45 miles um, every day to work minimum. Um, and his boss had said to him, he goes, you know, Joe, you're probably the only CFO in the frigging country that drives a sap. <laughs> you know? So, my dad, my dad did so well for himself. And he's a guy who lived well below his means. You know what I mean? Um, and, and because of that, I mean, my gym will always be successful. I will always have money because I know, I know what's necessary. I mean, we, we don't, if I ever wanted anything, my father would be able to give it to me and he did. And, you know, I worked for stuff. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't spoiled, but I did get anything, any, anything and everything that I ever wanted. I never really had to beg for anything. Um, unless it was something stupid, you know, then it was, that's, that's a different story entirely, but he really, he really taught me about the necessities in life, you know, that be you know, more of a minimalist lifestyle um, before it was even popular, you know, because it's a guy, a guy who grew up with absolutely nothing. His first purchase was an air conditioner. You know what I mean? He bought him and his parents air conditioners in their, in their small house, you know? So it's, it's, it's really, it's really humbling to be a product of where he came from, you know? And, and to, to kind of continue on that course of just slowly building up more and more success. I mean, it's so cool hearing about that. And then I know going further in your story, when you were finally opening up your gym, these practices, this tight with money mentality kind of put you in that position to be able to open that gym. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about that as well. Yeah. So I started off at DeFranco's. Um, I started part-time there. Then I ended up working full-time. I went and, and I worked full-time for an for an entire summer. Um, I took all the money that I had earned in that time. And I was always a saver. Um, even my freshman year in college, I never had less from then on. I never had less than a thousand dollars in my bank account, which, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for a college kid, hey, a college kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, Holy shit. You have that much money, you know? And even, even during baseball season, I would bounce, I would bounce, you know, two, three times a week. Um, double, you know, I'd have a game Thursday, Go to the bar, bounce, and, to, and at a bar in New York, I'd bounce until four in the morning. Then Friday, bounce until four in the morning. Uh, Saturday, have a doubleheader, go and bounce until four in the morning. You know, um, so I was always trying to make money. I was always very fiscally driven, I guess. You know, money driven, um, and I was always very, very conservative with everything too. So when the whole thing with DeFranco's came out, I ended up being Joe's right hand man. Ended up being his manager. Our, our director of training or whatever it was. It was essentially, I was, you know, his main guy. Then Joe ended up moving the gym down to on it, uh, in Texas. He'd asked me if I wanted to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm such, I'm such like a mama's boy that it's tough for me to leave the area. You know, my parents are a little older, my business is here and I just couldn't leave the area. Um, it was, it was a difficult thing for me to comprehend doing. So I said, no, I can, I gotta, I gotta stay in Jersey and you know, I didn't have any professional job offers at the time. And I get, I get a, a few job offers every, every year, but at that time I didn't have anything. And it was in September and I was kind of on my ass. I said, shit, what do I do now? I said, well, I got the clientele. I might as well just open up a gym. Um, and because I'm so cheap, I didn't buy all the most expensive equipment right off the bat. You know, I, I, Got one on Craigslist. I worked. I looked for deals. I I probably have. I have two sets of dumbbells from five all the way to ten. They're great sets of dumb. Uh, excuse me, five all the way to one hundred, up by fives. Uh, two sets of them, 
great sets of dumbbells. One's rubber coated, one's I think uh, Ivanko plates or whatever. Um, and then I have 105s, uh, one set of 105s all the way to 145s. And I think I spent a total of three grand. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have two awesome heavy duty steel, double sided steel racks that are probably four or five grand a piece. I got those for a thousand dollars, you know? So it's because I didn't spend a hundred thousand dollars right off the bat opening my gym. I got away with murder. And then I searched from, you know, location to location, looking for the best deal, want to get the best price per square foot, making sure I'm associated with the right, right locations. And I wanted to make sure that I was associated with another business as well, because I didn't want to be the destination. I want to be a part of the destination. You know, that's, I, I think that's a really important part it, because I don't have to market nearly as much. Oh, I love that part. And then I mean, I love so much too about how you made it work on such a limited financial basis. I mean, I feel like so many people, they're going to start a gym today. Like you mentioned, they think they got to spend a hundred grand and get it going, but you bootstrapped this. You were smart. You did things kind of the right way and you got it done. I mean, that's just cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when I first opened the gym, it was, I was in a thousand foot, thousand square feet, maybe less, a little nook. I had dumbbells, two racks, plates, and some bands. My first major purchase was a tread sled. I didn't know where the hell to get that used. That's 7,500 bucks <laughs> right up front. But I knew I needed it because a lot of my program is based around running. So I said, all right, well, that's a major thing that a major cost that I just need to deal with um, because otherwise I'm not going to run. I only got a thousand square feet. And I, I think a thousand square feet might have cost me thousand bucks or something like that. So I had a thousand bucks a month. Um, then I expanded another 500 feet so I could get a little bit of a running lane that was, you know, 70 feet long or so. So then I ended up paying like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars a month. Um, and, and I was able to get it go. You know, it was, it was all I needed. It was bare minimum and I didn't need to take money from anyone. You know, people would walk in the gym and they say, Oh, how'd you get this all started? You know, how many loans do you have taken out? I, said, I have none. I have, I have no college loans. I have no, no business loans. I have no loans because I pay everything off because I never, I never buy something that's just going to put me in debt or I never, I, I hate having payments with anything. It drives me crazy. You know, the, the, the concept of debt, because I, I stress out enough as it is. So if I have payments and I want to, I, I get injured because I have a motorcycle. If I fall down, then I have all these bills to pay and I can't work. How the hell am I going to pay them? You know what I mean? So there's, there's all these things that are always in the back of my head that I'm just not going to live. I, I, I want to live a debt-free lifestyle because that's just one stress that I don't want to have to worry about. You know, Because if, if someone is too stressed in business, then they start making desperate decisions. And before you know it, you're, doing, you're walking down avenues in business that you just you don't want to walk down. Um, and then, before, then, then your ethos, every, everything that you stood for and you started originally with kind of it transforms into something that you didn't even want it to in the blink of an eye. You know, yeah, my, my entrepreneurial listeners, I know many have small businesses. They are going to love what you were just hitting on there. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, but a lot of this, I was, I'm very, very fortunate with my background, you know, um, not only am I fortunate with my father, who's now my father's a corporate, he's a corporate guy. So the small business versus the corporate, him and I get in argument, we butt heads all the time. (laughs) No, because I mean, there are certain things that I do and he goes, oh, you're friggin' nuts, you know, and, and he starts screaming at me. But I mean, they're the right decision because the difference between corporate versus small business, it's it's they're it completely they're, they're polar ends. But there's certain as there's certain aspects of them that are very, very similar, obviously. I mean, but I've. 
Go on, go on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you say that you're fortunate. I will never argue you on that, but you could have gone a completely different path. Come from this amazing background, very fortunate. I feel like you could have been complacent and just asked for certain things, but you went out and you grinded your ass off to get to where you're at. I mean, that's what I love. And you didn't even hit on your time at Pittsburgh with Buddy Morris and James Smith. I would love hearing about that when you sacrificed your time and internship. I'd love hearing about that. Okay, awesome. So that's that's right. I actually forgot to go into that. So I had worked I had worked an entire summer, actually a, a few years with Joe. So I was saving a ton of money. Um, and I had saved about 15 grand after after my first full-time summer with Joe. And I said, you know what? The 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 fall into winter is a very, very slow time for us. Um, I, I want to go out. I won't be making much money. The gym won't be making much money. It's like a lull for us. I want to go out and I want to learn. So I emailed uh, a guy who used to write for Elite FTS. Um, his name was Coach X. His name is Buddy Morris. He wrote he, he wrote by the name of uh, Coach X. And Coach X was like a legendary coach. I mean, even Joe. I mean, he asked Joe to this day. And, and Joe will say, oh, he's, he's probably one of the best strength coaches in the country. Um, Buddy was uh he was at pittsburgh and he's he's I, he might have been the first college strength coach he was one of the first college strength coach for for football like he's he was at the start of it and he's a guy who just never stops learning um so i emailed him i said i want an internship with you he said refer to this guy james um and i said okay so i emailed james and i said hey james listen you know i was i was, I was pretty arrogant because i was a part of a you know, top 10 gym in the country. So there was nothing I didn't know, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> so it's, 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 it was really tough for me to comprehend what I was about to, what I was about to endure. But I, I emailed James and I said, you know, I, I want to intern specifically for Buddy because James also wrote for Elite FTS too. He was, he writes under the thinker and I didn't like anything he wrote. I was like, oh, this guy's a Russian nerd. He writes around block people. <laughs> and all this and, and i'm like i'm not dealing with this bs I, I can't even understand i feel like i'm talking to the you know the uh, architect from the matrix every time this guy writes you know um so i emailed james and i said hey listen you know i want to i want an internship for you with you guys um buddy told me to refer to you is there any way i could just intern for buddy and he goes oh well it's kind of a joint internship we really don't just intern for one person i i said yeah i know but uh you know, I don't want to waste my time. I just want to be around Buddy the whole time. He goes, all right, well, come over and we'll figure it out. Like, totally, totally disrespectful. Like, what? Yeah. what <laughs> shit, right? Like, I had I, I just, just, you know, <laughs> thinking I was way above and beyond everything. So it's, it's a six and a half hour drive out to Pittsburgh from Jersey. Um, I have, I have like pretty bad traveling anxiety. I hate traveling. So I'm driving out to Pittsburgh. I have like borderline anxiety attacks driving out there. Um, James was nice enough to say, oh, you know, you're in town. Come right to the facility and we'll talk. So I had just finished having like a mini panic attack. James sits down and very eloquently lets me know how much I do not know. And, and essentially, you know, he, he was just mother effing me up and down in such a polite, objective, uh, unbiased way saying, you need to know this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I was completely overwhelmed. You know, it was, it was like when Neo went to talk to the architect for the first time, you don't understand what the hell this guy's saying. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like he was speaking a different language. So after those two hours of just 
finding out how much I just did not know. Um, I, I almost turned around and went home. I was, I was like, I'm way in over my head here. I, I can't be here. I don't know enough. I don't know what this guy is saying. This is, this is completely overwhelming. I got to go. But, you know, I talked myself off a ledge. I stayed there. I mean, I almost want to know for a second, how do you talk yourself off the ledge there? Because I, I feel like today, so many people say they just get obliterated by a boss. Something bad happens. They automatically take the easy route. What made you stay there and go back? I hadn't met Buddy. I had, mm. you know, I had to meet Buddy. I read all of the guy's posts. I read everything he ever put out. Uh, there weren't there weren't many YouTube videos out at that time. Um, one one thing that I always do before I speak um, to to anyone that I wanna that I wanna attain knowledge from or that that I wanna either impress or you know anything someone of importance, I learn everything about them. You know, I will stalk them for six months. Um, that's, you know, I, 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 that's, that's how I got the network that I have. You know, I stalked them, asked them pertinent questions that only they would appreciate because I know so much about them, you know, because I, I, I make sure to read absolutely anything and everything. So I, I spent all this time researching buddy and I wasn't going to miss out on that. It was too big of an opportunity. Even the ride over, I, uh, I was sitting there. I was like, no, you got to do this. You got to do this. This is going to be life changing. It's going to change your life. This, these guys are the best in the world or buddies, the best in the world. Like you gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. You know, I, I, I pretty just, I pushed myself into doing it as best as I could, you know, and, and this is coming from a guy riddled with anxiety, riddled with anxiety. It's, it's terrible. It's like debilitating for me. And I was still, that's how important these guys, this guy was to me at the time. I mean, I think this could be the best takeaway of this entire conversation. Just the amount of effort, energy, knowledge, research you put into people that you know can help advance you, it, it's just amazing to hear. And then I love that you're being so vulnerable talking about the anxiety. I think so many young people are gonna listen to this and think that something that cripples them, debilitates them, that they can't advance in their career or whatever they're attempting to do in life, where here you're a perfect example of someone who's been over to, able to overcome that. So sorry for interrupting, I just, I just had to bring that up. No, no. I, listen, I, I have no problem making a segue into this. I, I honestly believe some of the best and smartest guys and, or most successful guys um, in business are riddled with anxiety. You know, um, I, it, for me, it's what drives me. It's the fear of just not being good enough, not knowing enough, the fear of not knowing something like some, someone's depending on me and I can't come up with the answer. I mean, I'll, I'll wake up at 4 a.m., every Wednesday, 3 a.m. every Wednesday, and just read for the entire, I make sure not to schedule anything um, until like 12 o'clock, you know, uh, I'll, I'll read for maybe eight hours straight, or I'll do something eight hours straight, research oriented, you know, just, just to better myself. And I have a thirst for learning, you know, I really, I really just want to know more and more and more and more and more every day. I love learning. Um, but I'm also terrified, <laughs> you know, I'm absolutely terrified of not being the best um, because I talk a lot of shit and I better be able to back it up. I love that. If anyone in this area wanted to come and talk shop with me, like I, I, I tell people all the time, I said, listen, like you could, you, I have open discussions. We used to have them all the time. Every Saturday, I invite anyone from the area, come in, have an op open discussion for, for training talk, anything. I have no problem teaching anyone anything. Um, but I also have complete confidence that there's no one around me that knows what I know. And in order for me to continue this path, 
uh, I need to constantly research because all it's going to take is someone listening to everything that I know routinely. Now, all of a sudden, they know what I know. Then if they learn one more thing than me, they're better than me. And I, I can't have that. Hmm. Like that, that, that actually, it pains me to think that anyone, anyone around me could possibly be better than me at anything, you know? I love that mentality. I love that mindset, man. There, this conversation is going so much deeper than I feel like you might just initially think. And I love the depth of this right now. So, I mean, you're, you're out there, you're finally going to meet your legend, Buddy Morris. And then what progresses from that? So the next day I go in, I'm sitting down, I'm talking to James. And then this other skinny guy comes in and he's speaking Martian as well. You know, he's speaking the same friggin' language as James. I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone here speaks like this. What the hell did I get myself into? I can't understand what's going on. It turns out the guy's name is Alan DeGenero. Um, Alan is, he's a genius. He's, he's awesome. I think he's a strength coach for Carnegie Mellon right now. And only because that's where he wants to be. He was a former, former coach of, you know, the Cleveland Browns. And, and the guy can do, I'm sure he'd get almost any coaching job he wants. He's that smart. He's a former athletic trainer. And who was he mentored by? Buddy Morris. So I'm sitting there overwhelmed, listening to these guys. Like, I got to walk out. I got to walk out. No, you got to stay. You got to stay. You got to meet Buddy, right? So Buddy walks in and I'm like, oh shit, that's, that's him. That's a legend. That's Buddy. He walks in. He goes, you're DeFranco's guy? I say, yeah. He goes, you do too much freaking max effort work. And he walked out. I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit. I pissed him off already. I don't know what the hell I did. What do I do now? I don't, you know, I was, I was losing my mind. So I, I stuck with it. Um, and all the money that I had saved from, from prior to pit, I saved about 15 grand, um, between the summer of work and everything. I didn't spend a dime, saved all the money, um, stayed at pit for, I don't know, four or six months, something like that. Uh, paid all the rent. It was an unpaid internship learned from buddy and James, um, buddy, James and I ended up getting very, very close. He's James is hands down. The smartest, probably take that back. He's, he's up there with top five smartest people in our industry, in the world. Like I will, I, I've talked to a lot of guys, like I've talked to a lot of legends in our area, in our, in our field of expertise. James is the best guy that I've talked to. And the, the fact that I was so rude and we talk about this all the time, you know, I'll bring it up a couple of times a year with him. I talked to him and buddy you know, a couple times a month, James, sometimes weekly, you know, a couple times a week. Um, I bring this up with James all the time about how, how arrogant I was. And he just laughs. You know? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you, you're, you're an idiot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and James is just so, and it pisses me off how much better James is than me, you know, uh, with, in regards to knowledge, how much more he knows than me, it aggravates me. And it's one of those things like I just keep trying to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn just so I have someone to catch up to. You know, and this James and Buddy completely changed my life. Completely changed my life. After after my internship with them, they they turned my world upside down, um, and and transformed the way I think about training, the way I think about any any, any approach to life. I mean, my critical problem solving skills have gone up exponentially just because of hanging out with James. You know, Buddy Buddy became like a friggin' brother to me as well. Um, you know, anytime shit hits the fan with, in either one of our lives where the, you know, we're like one of the first people, the other one calls, um, it's, it's a real, I, I was so fortunate to build an awesome relationship with those two guys. And, and how I did it was I spent every second I could there. 
if I had to take a nap, I took a nap in the friggin' weight room or in the back of the room. Uh, when they were there, I tried to get there before them. I tried to leave there after them. Um, like I said, I saved about 15 grand going there. I spent almost every dime I had and I'm real cheap. I tried to take them out to dinners every chance that I could. I picked them up lunch. I picked them up dinner. If we didn't have like the training room, um, I tried to train. I tried to work out with buddy every opportunity, even if I had already worked out to that, that day, I saw buddy working out. I just fucking sit there and I'd, I'd, I'd go in and I'd start working out with him as well. You know, it, it didn't matter. I tried to be attached at the hip to these guys. Whatever they said, Mike, change the equipment. Mike, do this. Mike, do that. You got it. You got it. You got it. Um, and I was one of the only interns. Actually, at the time, I was the only intern there that was allowed to coach my own groups. You know, I had a ton of experience. They put a ton of trust in me. Um, and I, those, those two guys, I, I, they're so important to me now, the, what, the roles that they played in my life. I can't say enough awesome things about the, the two amazing mentors that I have. I mean, there, there's so much interesting information right here. One thing I love how you gloss over is that you're done college. You have a job at this point and you're willing to go and take an unpaid internship and understand that doing that can get you to somewhere so much greater in your life and at a place that you want to be. What do you say to someone who's listening to this and they're afraid to take that next step? Maybe the career they're in right now, they're unhappy with, and they have a passion they want to go after any, any advice for them? You know, um, a couple of years ago, I was at, I was at a restaurant and I ran into, now I come from a very, very wealthy area. Um, it's, you know, one, I, I think it's the second, second richest County in the country, you know? Um, and I lived, I, I grew up in, I think what turned out to be one of the richest towns in the state. Um, I ran into a family, oh, a, a husband and wife, uh, there, were parents of a kid that I went to high school with. And I, you know, I was talking to them. I didn't even realize who they were. And we were talking about business. And they told me that when they were 50 years old uh, and the market had crashed, they both lost their jobs. And we live in a very, very bougie area. You know, it's a very, very expensive place to live. Um, property taxes on some of these houses are like $40,000 a year. Um, and they both lost their jobs and couldn't get jobs. And much like everyone else in, you know, that, that time, like it was, it would have been years before guys got jobs. And if they did get jobs, it'd be tremendous salary cuts. These people were 50 years old and you would think I'm setting my ways. I can't learn new skills. Um, they started a business. They started a business, uh, that, you know, of communicating, uh, transport between nursing homes and hospitals. You know, like talk, what the hell? Like who, who, and it turned out to be a multi-million dollar business now, you know? So they're 50 years old and they were already millionaires on their asses that couldn't figure out what to do with their lives. And they were, I mean, everyone gotten, got eaten up by, by that crash. So if you had millions, you no longer had millions. You know what I mean? Like my, my father's net worth was cut in half easily. You know what I mean? So everyone, everyone suffered no matter how rich you were. And these are people that virtually had nothing compared to where they were and started a business and at the age of 50 and continued to grow the business. So it doesn't matter. You know, I have, I have friends now that are, that are, you know, 40 plus they're big, they're pretty big fish at pretty big companies and they're unhappy. And I said, it doesn't matter how old you are. I said, no, I don't have enough time. I said, you have plenty of time. You have tons of time. It takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. 
10,000, like that's, you know, the, the, it could be 5,000 hours, it could be 15,000 hours, depend on, you know, how inclined you are to doing that type of activity. But it, it doesn't take much. Just do the work. And if you want it to go by quicker, just work harder, work longer, work more efficient, get better at it. You can do anything you want to do at any time. You just need to put in the work. So if you think, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, you, you know, there's, there's a quote from the movie The Martian um, when, when he was asked, like, how you, you're, you have all these overwhelming, you know, increasingly overwhelming odds against you. You know, it's, it's like your, your desk is covered, covered in papers. It's just, how do I, I, I I'm, so, I'm so overwhelmed with all this stuff. How do I get started? And he says, you just begin. <laughs> you know, That's you so solve true. one problem. Then you solve another problem. Then you solve another problem. So, I mean, yeah, I got a million papers on my desk and I could look at the whole picture and be like, oh my God, I don't know where everything goes. Like, all right, well, I know where this piece goes. There we go. And I know where that piece goes. And and that's all there is to it. You know, so you just, just do it. Just dive in. I have a friend who just, just quit his cushy job. He's 30. He just turned, or no, he's 29. Um, just quit his cushy job and he wants to start his own business. And he started from nothing. And I told him he was crazy. I said, oh, you could always figure out a way to work part-time or do this on the side or whatever. He says, no, I'm, I'm all in. And this, you know, it, it could be a very big mistake, but you could always figure it out. You know, just be, it, just be logical in your approach to things. You know, you don't have to do the moon, the stars, and the skies right away, but just, just do it. I mean, I love that approach. I think it might be Peter Diamandis. He says, you overestimate what you can do in six months and you underestimate what you can do in 10 years. And you hit on understanding there is more time. And I love that story of the 50-year-old couple that, I mean, so many people would just be so set in their ways there and they would refuse to completely reinvent themselves. But here they are at that age. They just lost a huge amount of their fortune and then they're, they're restarting. They're understanding they've got more time and they can put in that sweat equity. So that's very cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, once, once you kind of finish up this internship, you progress with your life, you're now working with some of the best athletes in the entire world. You've got some MLB athletes, some NFL athletes, besides genetics, what are some of the biggest things you see separates those top guys in their sports from the people who never get past high school or college athletics? So there's, there's different level of pro guys, right? Like you have, you have guys that make it just on athleticism that, that actually happens. You know, guys that size, strength, athleticism, that, that are just gifted with it. You know, um, those guys make it. Those guys don't last. The guys that last, you know, the, the difference, the real difference maker. Um, and, you know, anyone can be really, really gifted at one thing, you know, uh, whether it's speed, strength, whatever it is, you know. Uh, but they need to figure out something else to be good at. You know, and, and usually it's their approach. It's how meticulous they are in, the, in their training regimen. It's, it's their mentality, um, not just with training, but their mentality to how they're going to prepare their body or react to certain situations. Um, that's, I, I, I want to say the personality traits are the biggest factors in longevity in most careers for, 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 for anything, actually. You know, um, a lot of the vets that I work with, I am very delicate in how I phrase things with them because they're vets for a reason. Um, if I try to turn their world upside down, 
they're not going to respond because they've lasted in the NFL for 10 years. And what's this kid going to tell me? You know what I mean? Or what's this dude going to tell me differently from someone else? You know, um, so they're, if you look at any 10 year vet, they have very quirky behavior. Uh, they'll have certain, like, uh, you know, a, a Dave Deal, for instance. Uh, Dave Deal, who was he in the, the NFL? 10, 11, 12 years, right? With the same team. You know, that, that never happens. And the, re, the guy would do uh, flickers where he just open and close his palms after every workout like 100 times in different directions. And he'd do what he called the monster face where he just like makes a big neck like 100 times. And then he'd curl an easy bar like 100 times after the workout. But it was an empty easy bar. These are like some of the quirks that these guys know. I got to do it every workout. I said, okay, man, like what, whatever you got, like they, these are things that do almost nothing for you. But I mean, they have, they have a very unique approach to certain, to certain ritualistic behavior, I guess. Um, and, and the guys that really have it figured out are, are very good problem solvers. Um, whether it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to, but conceptually, like there are certain things that make sense to these guys more. So if things click with these guys. They resonate more with these guys than others. And I mean, you could see that not only in their training habits, but you could see that in their playmaking decisions on the field. You know, they won't, they'll make the least amount of mistakes. Is, is that, that's, I, I think that's usually the biggest separation is the guys that make the least amount of mistakes. Oh, that's so cool here. And I, I love the, the deal stories there. I loved watching his workouts through his days at DeFranco's. Um, yeah. No, yeah, that's that's been fascinating. I loved watching that. And now a quick word from our sponsors. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. So, I mean, we're mentioning some of the NFL athletes, the MLB guys. Can you talk a little bit about your athletes, what their training program looks like, and then also what the offseason and the goals you guys are working towards look like? So, I, I think the most important thing that, that people, people really miss the boat on uh, in, in our community, in our, in our industry, is we're not strength coaches. We're not speed coaches. You know, it, it doesn't, those, those are aspects of what we need to help, but that, that, that doesn't encapsulate us or it shouldn't, it shouldn't encapsulate us. You know, it shouldn't define us. Um, what, what we are is we, we need to be better at enhancing movement, <clears throat> whether it's a quality of movement, um, the rate of movement, you know, um, we need to get significantly better at evaluating movement 
and 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 advancing it. Um, so what we do here is I will, again, I'll put guys through a standing eval, I'll put them through a moving eval, and I will find areas where their movement is, I, I guess, leaky movement. You know, it's 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 faulty movement, and we try to make that more efficient. Okay, so guys will become faster here, not because we're we're making them more explosive. You know, like I I, I really. That's that's not on my to-do list because <clears throat> if we have guys that are especially my NFL guys, I mean these guys, they're they're already explosive. You know, so for me to, you know, put put extra jets or a turbocharger on something that's already turbocharged or something that's just inefficient, you know, I, I if I have guys walk running around and and they're their, their landing mechanics, their striking mechanics, every, everything is just inefficient. So I'm adding more force to a faulty design, which just means that increased volume leads to increased risk. So it's, it's only a matter of time until the wheels fall off. So my goal is to get these guys moving properly. And if I get them moving properly, then they'll produce more force. Okay. And if they produce more force, then they're going to get stronger. Okay. One of, one of the misconceptions that we have in this industry is that you need to use weights to get stronger. And that's not true because the only thing you need to do in order to get stronger is expose your body to more force. The body knows force. It knows newtons. It doesn't know steel weights. It doesn't know sand weights. It doesn't know anything. Ground impacts, that, that equates to newtons. That equates to force, right? So if we make you more efficient with force, then you'll produce more of it and your body will allow you to produce more of it. So if, if let's say you have a pitcher with dead arm, right? And what dead arm is, it's when guys say it, you know, it's, it's mumbo jumbo. Guys can't throw as hard, even though they feel good. Like for some reason, my velo stuck at 80 and I used to throw 90 and my arm feels fine. I don't know what's going on in situations like that. There, there are instances where the rotator cuff just isn't strong enough. So the brain knows, the brain is aware that if I can't properly decelerate this arm or this movement, I'm not going to allow you to accelerate. So same thing goes with running mechanics. If you can't land properly, if you can't, if you don't have good amortization, then we're not going to allow you to take off. So you see a lot of guys with short strides. And a lot of the time it's because with an increased stride length comes increased Increased force, increased increased velocity, right? So you won't have as long of a stride because your body knows you can't land properly. And if you have too many too many poor ground impacts, what is it going to lead to? Plantar fasciitis. Um, I, you'll get uh, Achilles tears, patellar tears, and and those all these issues right now they're they're huge huge issues um, in our industry, or I, I should say in in the football in the football industry right now. You know, those are those are things that are epidemics right now that that used to only happen to like 40 year old men that played tennis that had serious mineral deficiencies. You know what I mean? Like it's so what what we try to do is we try to enhance movement quality, uh, no matter who you are, whether you're an average Joe, you know, a young kid or a professional athlete or a pro bowler, you know, like what we want to enhance the quality of your movement. So whatever we see. That's what we're going to work with. Uh, I'll have a pitcher. One of my pitchers um, was suffering with chronic back pain, and 
we did probably a half hour to an hour of fascial stretches every single day before his workout started. So someone came in and they're like, oh, this is some bullshit yoga class. Like, no, this is, these, are the, these are the exercises that we prescribed to him that we deemed necessary for him to improve his mobility. I didn't have to, we, we didn't have to have anyone lay hands on him at all to increase mobility. His external rotation went out, I, I think, increased by like 20 or 30 degrees, something outrageous like that. Um, resting, not even a forced external rotation. Um, so it's, it's something that's very, very overlooked uh, is, is the effect that movement can have and movement efficiency can have on strength gains. Um, I had a lineman last year not lift, not lift weights at all with me. Uh, is, is a fat lineman is 260 pounds or 265 pounds, five, 10, six foot, whatever. Um, junior in high school lifted with me for two and a half months or so. We did a ton of speed work and like every fat guy, he could barely do lunges. So I'm sure as shit, not going to load this guy if he can't <laughs> manipulate his own body weight, you know? So we, we did a ton of body weight exercises as well as sprints, some plyometrics, you know, box jumps, uh, low, low amplitude, low frequency, um, low intensity jumps, uh, as well as some explosive med ball throws. And then his coach reached out to him and said, Hey, listen, we need to test you. Uh, we got to see where your deadlift is at just to make sure you're not BSing us. And you know, you're actually doing the work kid deadlifted, like either five fifteen or five sixty five, one of the two and with perfect form with plenty in the tank. And we hadn't lifted weights yet, you know? So it's a huge, huge misconception that you need to lift weights in order to get strong. Um, that's, that's really just not the case. You need to produce force. And by adding weight to the bar, what are you doing? You need to produce more force in order to lift that weight off the ground. That's where people are missing, missing the boat because it's a concept of force, not a concept of weight. I mean, you know? yeah, people hear that. And I'm sure they they can't even fathom how that's possible over that two month time span. But can you talk about the force that's created during a sprint? So, um, Ken Clark, uh, just had a study come out and I used to, I used to talk about this with people all the time and, and I never, you know, I, I never saw any research really backing it. It was always kind of like bro science um, and, and not even bro science, probably, you know, some, someone came up with some kind of equation that said, oh, you know, this is it. But it was four to six times your body weight on each foot for tenths of a second on at, at top speed. So top speed angles. Uh, Ken Clark came up with this study or did the study on a treadmill that uh, measured measured force. That had force plates in it. So, I mean, they measured the force. They actually were able to measure it. So, what we're equating this to is if you have a 200 pound sprinter running at, I think, I, I want to say it was 10, 10 meters per second in the study, I forget, running at 10 meters per second. And Usain Bolt, I believe, was like 12.3 meters per second or something like that. So, a little slower than Usain Bolt at 200 pounds five times his body weight on one foot. That's 1,000 pounds. That's for tenths of a second. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. If you equate that to weight, that's a lot of weight, right? So there's no way I'm going to simulate that in a squat rack. <laughs> there's no way that force can be simulated in a squat rack, right? So where am I experiencing most force? If you look at the hamstring, hamstring development, 
development of these Olympic sprinters, shit, if these guys ate more, they'd be bodybuilders. Yeah. These suck. They're, they're humongous. So you can't tell me that there's not, there's not uh, adaptation, a hypertrophy adaptation involved, um, a muscular adaptation involved with this. So it's, it's the ex- exposure to force. All right. Um, same thing goes for any kind of plyo pushup. You know what I mean? Like it's how much force can your body sustain safely? That's what we're all about. And let's produce it and reproduce those efforts. You talk a lot about the movement and I'm blown away by the number of strength coaches, especially around middle school and high school athletes that allow them just to pile as much weight on those bars as possible. And their movement is so flawed and clearly they're just in positions of prone for injury. So you want to talk about some of the major issues you see with the middle school, high school athletes, both around their training programs and other things as well along dieting. So number one, the diet is, is absolutely horrible. Oh my goodness. You know, I, it's unbelievable. You can look at kids. I mean, I work a ton in this age group and I can just look at kids and you can see a kid who has a diet full of processed foods, refined sugars. It's just easy to see it. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. You know, I'll, I'll talk to the kids and I'll talk to some parents and I'll say, all right, well, what do you think a good dinner is? Or what do you think a good breakfast is? And you know, a bagel pasta, you know, they just, they're just uninformed, you know? Um, and, and the diet, uh, and, and these kids get away with it because they could have a diet of Mountain Dew and Skittles and be jacked forever, you know, as long as they stay kids, you know, and they'll, they'll stay the skinny little jack kid, no problem. But it's, it, it really is an epidemic. And when guys ask me, to me, nutrition's really, it's really, really easy. You know, it, it's, if it doesn't walk the earth, grow in the earth or swim the sea, then don't eat it. And then you won't ever have a problem. Yeah. Handful of meat, handful of fruit, two handfuls of vegetables. Every, every day or every, every meal. Right. And how many meals should I eat? Well, if you're fat, eat less. If you're skinny, more, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that hard to really figure out, but we kind of want to overcomplicate things. Um, and variety is good. A bunch of different colors, but they, they're, they're not, they're just not aware of this. And I'm, I'm, I, I was trying, I was contemplating doing it for a while and, and, and trying to come up with a program with, with some schools and stuff and, and, you know, phys ed departments and, and really trying to go with the nutrition aspect at, with, at least with education and have some kind of course or some kind of thing that these kids can take just so they're aware, you know, um, it's, I think it's really important that no one knows. Um, I mean, think about it. I, I think pizza, I want to, I read this somewhere and I want to say it's a lie and I hope to God it is, but pizza was added to a vegetable group. I <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I, I saw that somewhere. I said, this can't be real. This really can't be real. So I hope someone fact on this podcast fact checks that. Um, but there's, there's the nutrition aspect of it. These kids don't drink nearly enough water. I mean, they'll drink Gatorade, they drink Powerade. And, and they're starting to learn that the sugar stuff is bad. But the quantity of which they drink is just insufficient. I mean, if you're an athlete, they say, what, two-thirds of your body weight should be consumed in water. So if you're 200 pounds, you know what I mean? Like, are you drinking a gallon of water a day? And most people are not. And it's one of the easiest things. The slowest, slowest reflex in the body is the thirst reflex. So by the time you're licking your lips, you're already dehydrated. So, I mean, it's something that's readily available at all times. It improves clarity. It improves function. It, it, it improves absolutely everything. And it's free. And we don't do enough of it. You know, it, it helps with the recovery. It helps flushing out poor uh, waste products, 
You know, it does absolutely anything and everything to you. We're, we're 70% water. Why wouldn't we drink more of it? And the kids, it's because we just don't know. We're just unaware. Um, next is there's, there's a lack. It coincides with this, the lack in foundation of nutrition. There's a lack in foundation of physical preparation. Think about how many kids can't run. And, and guys, I remember I used to get pissed off when I was younger, like, oh, I got to do the damn mile run. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, a mile isn't that friggin' far. It's really not that bad. I mean, I, my, my, one of my coaches does our adult class, and he's just walking back and forth for an hour. He walks three miles in that adult class alone. So, like, running a mile as a measurement of physical fitness isn't the end of the world. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it's not that big of a deal. These guys, they can't run. They have no aerobic fitness. Aerobic capacity is very, very important, whether it's steady state or intermittent. I don't care how you get there, but the aerobic, your aerobic capacity is very important with recovery. It's important with recovery. It'll increase mitochondrial density, which will increase you know, ATP function, uh, ATP production rather, cellular function. Everything gets better with aerobic activity. As long as it's not excessive, just like water. If you have too much water, it's hyponatremia, and you know you get poisoned that way. But it, the, the foundation is just not there. Think about these kids. If you have kids that are able to run like seven-minute miles, I guarantee those kids can do lunges. You know, But none of these kids can do lunges. They can barely do bodyweight squats. And if they can do bodyweight squats, 90%, if not more, there's dysfunction. There's either a valgus or they go into a posterior pelvic tilt. You know, like there's something off with these guys. Um, so are you a fan of Kelly Starrett? Um, I don't read much of his work. I, I understand he's a really smart guy. Um, I've read some of his stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I like, I like some, some things that he does. He says, uh, sitting is the new smoking, right? Yep. Yeah, no, I just wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were familiar. It seems like there's many similar ideas uh, that you have, but then again, I think anyone in the know these days is understanding there's a mass epidemic in terms of movement, nutrition, all, all the things you're seeing out of the youth today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really is an epidemic. It's, it's a, it's a global problem or I shouldn't say it's, it's, it's our, a problem in our country. Um, <clears throat> and it, the, the kids just are very, very inactive. Um, and they're dysfunctional as well. I'm seeing a lot more hip issues um, and back issues than, than I've seen in the past. And I think a lot of it has to do with the footwear. Um, the footwear alone is, I mean, you, you come into my gym at any point in time and, I, you know, I'm walking around barefoot. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in proper foot function because, I mean, what's the first thing to interact with your environment? You know, it's your, it's your feet. You know, the, it. It lets you know the terrain. It lets you know, you know the temperature of it, the texture of it. You know, it's there's there's so much feedback that you get. So if the feedback is hindered in one way or another, then it's going to hinder the response, right? And if if anything is altered in any way, then with alter comes with with alteration comes compensation. You know, so there's always going to be some kind of compensation, and I'm lo- I'm noticing a lot of hip, knee, back issues with kids. And a lot of it stems from the footwear because they're never barefoot. I mean, kids wear sneakers inside the house now too. You know, we, we forget that footwear, it's an, ergic, it's an ergogenic aid. You know, it was designed to enhance performance. That's what it was designed for. So if there's a cold floor, if there's a hot floor, 
You know, if there is a slippery floor, that's what sneakers were designed for. That's what footwear was designed for. Now it's luxury. You know, it's style. It's comfort. You know, it just keeps my feet warm. I walk around barefoot all the time. My feet are now never cold. My thermal regulation is so messed up now because every time I put on sneakers, my feet sweat like crazy. It never happened. (laughs) But I I had been barefoot for months, uh, almost almost a year. I'm barefoot majority of the day now. Um, And my knees feel better. My back feels better. Everything feels significantly better because of that. You know, um, and a lot of these things stem from the foot, from the feet and work, work their way up. Um, and that's an issue with these kids as well. Push-ups, pull-ups, pull-ups out of like the physical fitness challenge too, right? Is that, is that right? You know, um, there's, there's a lot of things that were standards and maybe, and they're no longer standards, but they're, it's simple body weight stuff. Like you can't manipulate your own body. If you can't manipulate your own body weight, what makes you think you deserve to utilize an external stressor? First off, you're wasting the stressor. Yeah, it's a comp- the whole point of introducing new stress, new stimuli, is to yield a new adaptation. Well, people, I'll have people in here doing lunges for a year, unweighted. They say, well, why aren't I adding weight? Well, because you still suck at lunges. <laughs> so why... You haven't even adapted to a basic lunge yet because you're so out of shape. Why am I going to advance the degree of difficulty and waste the stimulus? It's People don't look at things that way. They want the next thing. All right, well, I just need to progress. I need to do this. I need to do this. Like, no, you don't. Sometimes you just need to stay right the hell where you are. Do you think the the youth also being so sports specific at such a young age is affecting them and resulting in multiple injuries? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. what was it? The stat with the NFL draft was what a week or two ago. And I think it was 30 out of the top 32 picks were multi-sport athletes in high school. I think I want to, I read that somewhere. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's usually a stat almost every year, you know, and that's, that's an important thing. Um, and it's not just that they play multiple sports, you know, I, I, I couldn't care less if the guys play actual sports, but they're learning new motor patterns that, you know, it's, there, uh, there's movement, there, there's task specific movements learned, you know, they're, they're challenging the way they process. They're, they're challenging their movement quality. They're, they're, they're enhancing everything, but just by doing new stuff, because the more you do, the more new stuff you do, the more you learn, the more you learn, the better you are to adapt to things. Um, so it's, it's too often that I see, you know, young kids that are pitcher only, that shouldn't happen. Like even, even within the sport, they specify just far too early. And meantime, some of the best athletes are converted. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you'll, most of these guys that are really, really good pitchers, they were really good hitters too, but they said, all right, well, he's going to be more valuable as a pitcher. So we'll just let him pitch instead. And it, it, you know, it's, you need to be a very good mover. And the only way you're going to be able to react to new stimuli efficiently is if you expose yourself to it and, and these kids just don't do it enough. You know, um, there, there's, there's no tag. You know what I mean? Like the, if you see some of these guys try to play tag, it's just very, very unathletic. I mean, even a simple game, even a simple game of tag with some of these kids would be really beneficial. They'd have to learn how to cut. They'd have to do all these things, you know? So it doesn't necessarily have to be more sports. 
even though that's you know kind of the end game of it, that's that's what it results in. But there, it's it's just not enough exposure to various movements. I mean, think about how many guys can't swim. How much better they would be if they could swim. You know, their 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 ability to manipulate themselves through space would it would improve significantly. You know, that's that's everything that we do. So it's just another realization of movement that they just don't have. And they'd be their proprioception would be that much better if they were good at it, you know, or at least exposed to it. Yeah, I mean, the exposure, just get up off the couch, do something physically active, like you mentioned, playing tag, I think that would result in much better athletes and also more healthy individuals. You also kind of mentioned about the toughness. What have you seen over the last decade in terms of the mental toughness of the middle school and high school athletes? Uh, I, I don't know if it's just specifically the group I work with at times, but it seems like the mental toughness has gone down recently. You know, I... I think that's interesting. Um, I'm, I, I, I deal with a very, a very different group of people. Um, and I was always very different myself in, in regards to just focus and preparation. Um, and I, I don't know. Uh, it's, I, think, I, I think a lot of it is, is relatively the same. I think a lot of it is genetically influenced as well. Um, you know, because, I mean, what – Break down mental toughness. What does it come down to? It's like, you know, what, what describes it? It's resilience. You know, a, a lot of that is ingrained in you, you know, at, at birth. Like what, what kind of guy is your father? It's no coincidence, you know, that I was kind of a shitty high school student and kind of a shitty college student. And then all of a sudden, you know, in my 30s, I start taking off and my dad did the same thing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not I, I think a lot of that stuff, the resilience, the 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 decision to just commit. You know, I, I think a lot of that is uh, it's obviously cultural. It's it's inherited because I, the, the guys that I have here, I have a lot of great guys. Um, I, I, I attract I always say I attract like a five, 10 percent population because all the kids that usually get lessons, like if they get baseball lessons or something like that, someone wants to get better at baseball. Simple, logical thought is, all right, well, I just got to get baseball lessons. Right. So 50 percent of the population that plays the sport gets lessons in that. And what percent of that population takes it a step further and says, hey, I want to get stronger. I want to get that much better. So instead of just lessons, let me get personal training, right? <clears throat> so maybe, I don't know, 20% of that, 25% of that population gets it. So, I mean, I'm only getting about, you know, 10, 10, 10 5, 10, 15% of the population. Usually those guys are very, very, uh, they're very dedicated people to begin with. So the people that walk through my doors, they're, they're not like, I don't attract the average Joe. I don't attract slap dicks. So <laughs> my, my exposure to that population, just, it just really isn't, I, I can't say that the kids are softer. They're just different. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're more accepting. Um, they're, they, they don't tease as much. They're not, they're not as mean, um, which, which, you know, which means they're not as aggressive. I have noticed that it, there's a lack of aggression. But as far as toughness, no, I, I think it's I think they just evaluate things a lot differently than we did when we were younger or even in the past 10 years, because there's a lot there's a lot more exposure to it as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, definitely making me think about the way I'm looking at it. I think you and I are very, very similar, both in age and then also our mindset going into certain things. And, and there's times where, I mean, you, you mentioned that that mentality of just kind of 
angry getting after it. And I feel like I'm seeing less of that. So I was just curious if you were seeing that as well. But no, that's, that's a cool take and a cool perspective from you. So with these athletes you're working with, is there anyone who's been just your favorite athlete of all time? Favorite athlete of all time. I mean, it doesn't even have to be uh, an MLB player. It could be a high school athlete, but just how they attacked certain workouts. You just loved working with them. You know, I think there's, there's not one person really sticks out in my mind. Um, I mean, because there's so many unique experiences that, that I've had with so many different guys, you know, um, like for, for instance, like I'm, I've gotten so close with, with my, some of my pro guys, like I'm in, I'm in Tratow's wedding. I'm in Hogan's wedding, you know, um, and, and the, the <laughs> euphoric experience that I had with Hogan this year, you know, I mean, it was just so awesome that it's, it's almost like that can never be touched. Right. Like I had, I had a guy that was no name, nothing. <clears throat> and then, you know, he's, he's leading the team to a super bowl, you know, and, and crushes an AFC championship game. Um, and then, you know, I have, I have some of my high school athletes. I have guys that they, they didn't play varsity. And then all of a sudden they make the, they make the varsity squad and it's like the best moments of their lives or, or guys that just worked really, really hard. And then they have like a 30 point game in basketball, you know, like it's, there's, there's so many, I, I want to say my, my favorite ass or, or even guys that were socially awkward, right? Skinny, socially awkward kids or, or, you know, just shy people that come out and now, you know, they're jacked and, and they're killing it in life. Um, and you know, it's, that, that type of stuff, I think the consistency is, is my favorite. The guys that come in, the consistency and the trust, because that's what it comes down to. If you're consistent, that means you're committed. You know? You're committed and you're resilient. So you're, you're already, whether you're, whether you're like a motherfucker or not, you know? like that's, that's irrelevant because it, you don't have to be like one of those aggressive, like, come on, come on, come on, like type, type guys. But if you're committed and you you, you yeah, do the work regardless of what stepped in front of you because you trust what I have to what I have to offer and how I'm gonna help you get there. I think that's my favorite quality. And so many of my guys have that and it's it's like so heartwarming because I've had I've had a lot of opportunities to uh, to leave personal training, um, you know, leave leave the private sector and and go off elsewhere. And I haven't I haven't taken them. Um, and a lot of that is because I, I enjoy, um, I really enjoy just being with my guys like this, you know, um, I enjoy them being not just a number. Um, I enjoy the development aspect of it and, and the influence that we can absolutely have on you, you know, which, which you could have in other avenues, but I've really, I've been in both areas and I really, I've really noticed it with this. So I think, I think my favorite guy is just that, you know, he, he trusts the process and he just does it. He just commits. Well, Mike, I mean, your response to that question tells me so much about your character. I think so many of my listeners would expect you to say it was the guy I trained who I got to go from a four, five, 40 to a four, three, or the guy who squatted five fifty. It had nothing to do with that. It was about the journey, the process, their dedication and their work going into it. So it was awesome hearing that. So we mentioned favorite athletes. What if you could work with any athlete dead or alive, who would it be? You know, I would have loved, I would have loved to work with an Alex Rodriguez, um, or, or, you know, someone, 
someone like that, that was, uh, again, it would come to a concept. I would love to work with an athlete that would, that just wanted so desperately to be the best, you know, no, no matter what it took. And he was willing to, you know, not have a candy bar ever in his life. You know what I mean? Like it's these, these guys that are just so freaking committed to what it is that they do and maybe going about it the wrong way or, 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 or doing, making all these shitty decisions that really impact, um, impact the rest of their careers or the rest of their, everything that they do from there. Um, I would love to work with an, uh, an athlete like that of that caliber and be able to follow them around, you know, with the entire season and, and, and their entire career, even just to be almost like the personal trainer for them just to be able to do something like that. Um, but as far, as far as specifics, honestly, I don't know if I would have liked to train them, but if fictional, I'm going to go fictional characters. I would love to be in the room with Rocky and be his training partner. Oh, I think that'd be, I think that'd be the most <laughs> badass thing on, on life, you know? Oh man, that is great. So, I mean, I love your response too with, uh, with A-Rod there and speaking about someone who might've gone about it the wrong way. I know there are so many questions and we could go off for a five hour long podcast on this about supplements, but anything you recommend or anything that you take? So I'm very, very picky. Um, I was part of the supplement industry briefly. Um, and you know, it's, I know what can be done to supplements. I know the ins and outs, a lot of the little nitty gritty stuff. I mean, we had, we had sample bottles that we were able to just make up in a basement. You know what I mean? A lot of these supplement companies, and it was a pretty good supplement. Like they, we had a lot of distribution. Um, but we were allowed to do anything we wanted. I mean, we had resealable, most of these companies reseal, resealable labels, uh, or excuse me, resealable tops with the, you get a freaking hairdryer and it shrink wraps the top thing to it, you know? So you could put anything you want. I'm not saying we did that, but the ability to put anything you want into a supplement, um, is there. So, I mean, there, there, there are supplement companies where they get taken off the shelves every year because, you know, you're putting meth, methamphetamines in, in some of the things or you're sprinkling D-ball into a pre-workout and these guys, oh, these gains are awesome. And then they get taken <laughs> off the shelves and then they reformulate, you know? Um, so because of that, I'm very, very picky. Um, uh, like one supplement that I take now or that I recommend, uh, it's a vegan protein. It's soy-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, organic, no sugar added, you know, um, there's non-GMO. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm very big into the purity because the more labels, unfortunately it, it makes the product more expensive because it has to go through more rigorous testing, but that's just it. You know, it, there's a lot more care involved in a lot of these supplements. So, um, I don't necessarily recommend too many supplements. I'll have protein supplements that, that I have guys take. Like I said, it's very stringent, very strict requirements. Um, but other than that, you know, some, some amino acids, um, I'm not very big into having my guys take caffeine. I don't like pre-workouts. Um, I'm very big into nutrition, the nutrition aspect. I mean, I'll take pre-workout because I'm an idiot, but my, as, as far as my guys go, you know, I, I don't ever re recommend anything unnatural entering their body. And if they have the opportunity, I try to explain to them that supplement, like it, you know, it, the word, you know, it, it's like in addition to. You know what I mean? Like it's not too many people get upset and are get obsessed thinking like these supplements are it. Like this is not the be all end all. This is supposed to, Hey, if you can't, if you cannot eat, then you take a supplement. 
So if my guys can't take a protein shake, or my guys can't eat a meal, I'll give them a protein shake. <coughs> Excuse me. But not not before that, you know. Um, I sell I sell shakes here, five five hundred six hundred calorie shakes, um, only because like my guys they they don't have proper nutrition, so they don't know what the hell to eat, and I know they're not going home and eating a quality meal right away. So I force a shake down their throat, you know. So now there's five hundred calories that I don't need to worry about that I know they're consuming, you know. Um, I'm I'm real close to selling selling some kind of freaking meal here just so I know they're gonna have the shake. Now they're gonna have a meal. That's two meals that I took care of that we don't ever have to worry about with these with these young athletes. Um, but as far as professional athletes go, um, I mean anything that helps, you know. It's I mean there are guys you gotta you gotta take uh, guys love taking caffeine before games, you know. Um, they'll take amino acids. They'll take anything they can, and it, as long as it's legal, you take whatever you gotta take to recover from it thoroughly. But I mean the natural ways to recover are usually the best ways. You know, tons of tons of foods with antioxidants in it. You know, that's going to get rid of free radicals. Tons of high quality foods that are going to have high quality proteins because that'll that'll facilitate the assimilation of the protein. Yeah, I, I love the direction you went with this answer. And I mean, I'm I'm very similar in my progression over the past year, going to all natural, organic, vegan protein, and then also how you hit on just how unregulated the supplement industry is. And I think people who are gonna be taking supplements need to do a lot of their own research to figure out certain companies. And then like you mentioned, it's it's to supplement if you cannot have that void filled with your regular diet. And you, you mentioned diet earlier, and it's about building that foundation from a healthy diet. But you were also hidden there um, about recovery. Anything you're doing with your athletes to help them recover? You know, <clears throat> that's something Hogan and I talked about um, as far as basic recovery stuff, like I'll advise, but I mean, there's only so much that I can advise that they'll follow through with, right? Like if I don't have it all in house, it's tough for these guys to do. Like I really, I really need to up my game and figure out a way to make this a one-stop shop. Right. So, um, I, I, I had an Instagram post, uh, the other day, very simple recovery modalities, right? Hot tub, cold tub, Epsom salt path. You know, with four pounds Epsom salt, eight ounces hydrogen peroxide uh, in a tub, like as hot as you can take it. Um, contrast showers, three minutes hot, one minute cold. Um, breathing exercises, simply <sighs> taking a big deep breath in, dig big deep breath out and doing that consistently. Like we don't, at a steady rhythm, we don't do that enough. You know, Wim Hof is real big into saying we don't get enough oxygen. You know, um, that's a breathing method you could check out. Check out the Wim Hof method. Yeah, we had Brian McKenzie on a few episodes ago. He worked directly with Wim Hof. So we go through some of the breathing practices there. And that's something I've implemented. And just the changes I've noticed in my recovery, how I overall feel has just been tremendous. So I, I highly recommend the breathing as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I can't say enough good things about the breathing. I mean, you, you listen to listen to any real successful guy and you know, everyone's so damn stressed. They need to figure out a way to de-stress and breathing just simply breathing. You know what I mean? Like who'd have thought just like drinking water, who'd have thought, you know, really, really simple stuff. That's, we, we just don't do enough of, um, and being out in nature, you know, going, going for walks, barefoot walks. They have, there's, there's an activity now called earthing. Like that's, that's outrageous. You know what earthing is? It's when you, when you stand on friggin' grass barefoot to collect the earth's energy. That's how, that's how disconnected we are. You know, so I mean, go for a 20 minute walk outside. Um, but as a advanced recovery modalities, there's a um, there's a spa uh, probably within like 10 minutes of us 
that, you know, I try to, I, I recommend my guys go to. Uh, it's got like five, six different kinds of saunas. It's got a floating pod. Those are awesome. The deprivation tank. Um, I want to try to make one of those here. You need like 500 pounds of Epsom salt. I'm going to get like a huge horse trough, like a huge horse, horse bath type thing filled with Epsom salt and put like some kind of screen over it and let the guys float in the pool outside. I think that'd be awesome. Um, you got cold tubs, hot saunas, scented saunas, infrared saunas, um, even even just straight up not saying anything, sitting outside, looking at a fire. You know, um, I, for me, one of the best things that I can do for recovery is sitting on my deck, smoking a cigar and staring at a fire and not saying anything, you know, being as still as possible. Um, they say in... Um, in physics, some of the most rapidly moving particles in the universe uh, actually also spend the most time standing still, and it, that that also that that also translates to you know guys in think tanks. What do they do? They sit in a white room with a marker, and they just sit there until and they sit very still and they think of absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden, poof, everything goes. You know what I mean? So it's. You, you just need time to be still for recovery. And that's where the breathing is good, too. It makes you separate yourself and just be still. Turn off all cellular devices. Um, sleep. Sleep is huge. We don't get enough of it. If you And, you know, a lot of the sleep is intermittent. <clears throat> and a lot of that is because we're dehydrated. Um, or we're eating crappy food before we, before we go to bed. You know, um, there is, we, we have access to the the cryo chambers as well have have you ever used those yeah i've done the cryo chamber i i do it an ice bath every single morning um and i actually like the results more of that um than the cryo but i have used the cryo before yeah i can't i i hate i hate ice baths like i've done the wim hof method i went to like one of his one of his seminars um and i hate ice baths i can't stand them and i tried to like them and it was actually a really funny story um, I was doing I was doing the Wim Hof in the shower, which they tell you never to do, right? Because um, I'm an idiot. And I was doing the Wim Hof in the shower. Went to the cold. Went to the cold, and the cold is my friend. The cold is my friend. And I had the only way I could back it out. The only way I could like get get rid of the cold is by doing the Wim Hof. What I do? I blacked out. I passed out in the shower. I woke up. The shower curtain was o- draped over me. I had no idea what was going on. I, the shower was off. I, I could have drowned. I didn't know what was going on. I had this huge scrape on my back because I, I scraped it all across it. Like it's, so I can't do the cold. So that for me, the cryo chamber might be it in order to reduce inflammation. Um, but again, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways to go about it. I mean, compression. There's compression suits out there that will reduce inflammation. You know, there's so many different things that we can utilize for recovery that really aren't that expensive, but they're just very, very overlooked. And of course... You know, massage. I, I try to stay away from deep tissue massage. Um, um, it, it causes a lot of damage, and and guys are really, really addicted to it. And I think they're like suckers for pain. But I, I, the, the the deep tissue massage, I don't notice as much of a good effect as just a nice Swedish massage or <laughs> fascial fascial stretching. Um, fascial stretches are awesome. There, there's a lot of a lot of research being done with with uh, emotions and stress being stored in fascia. Um, they, they do research with vets on PTSD and fascial release um, and, and how a lot of it's contained in the fascia. And, and, and there's so many different aspects of it where, you know, you, you hear the duality of light. Well, the fascia's the same way. 
Um, if, if you impose too much of a stress on fascia, it becomes very, very tense. And they say, they say it's, you know, 2000 pounds per square inch of, of tension, or if you're passive with it, it becomes fluid. So it, it kind of, it's, it's counterintuitive to the deep tissue, whereas, you know, deep tissue, you're really, really digging in. Right. And that's just going to tense up the muscle. So it, it, it's not congruent with the concepts of fascia. So it, I try to stay as passive as possible, especially if you're going recovery, the less stress, the better. Um, but you know, low intensity aerobic work, intermittent or steady state, there's a million and one different ways to, to recover that we just don't. And, and it's so cheap and we just don't take advantage of it. I was so curious how you were going to answer this question. And I honestly, from a selfish standpoint, could not be any happier with how you answered that. I think my high school self, I remember following Joe DeFranco and everything and just dying to get inside the head of someone who's working with a professional athlete, thinking that there's some magical thing they're all doing to help with recovery. And what you just laid out, these are things I've implemented in the past probably year to year and a half, and I have noticed just such profound results from it. You mentioned just going outside barefoot, taking a walk, enjoying just the sunrise, sunset, having a cigar on the back, watching the fire. These little things just help with mental clarity so much. And then from the physical side of things, the ice baths, the contrast showers, all of these little things which are so easy to implement and just more people need to start doing them and they will notice such profound results. So I'm glad that's what you've been implementing with your athletes and also yourself. So that's been cool to hear. So one thing I always want to ask my listeners uh, before we finish up, if, if you could have them implement one thing into their lives to live a healthier, more successful life, what would it be? Uh, get rid of all processed foods. Love it. You it, know? Yep. You, I mean, it's, it's so simple, so spot on, but still here in America, there are just so many people just still jamming their bodies with processed foods. So amazing tip there. Man, Mike, this has been a blast. I could honestly go on for hours with you talking training, recovery, all these little things. I'm definitely hoping we can do a round two at some point, and hopefully I can get up there to the gym um, and do this one in person. But for my listeners who want to stay connected with you, uh, where can we direct them? Um, you could go to my Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Guadango, G-U-A-D-A-N-G-O. Um, you could come to our Freak Strength page, at Freak Strength, uh, Facebook, Facebook slash freak strength, or I'm on Facebook, but you're going to have to follow me. I have too many, I have too many friends cause I'm so awesome. Um, <laughs> you can check us out at, uh, freakstrength.com. And I think that's, I, I have a YouTube page, but I really don't, it, it's, it's Guadango. It's not even a freak strength. It's, it's an old one. I barely post on it. Um, I'll probably get back into that a little bit too, but that's, and on Twitter as well, at Guadango or at freak. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to get all those linked up in the show notes and they'll also be able to access that through the website. But man, Mike, thanks so much. This one was a blast. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.